0: It's Elaine Lindsay, Lindsay, the glamopreneur with True Social Media and the host of BBP TV show. I'm really excited to be here today with a return guest and his co-author for yet another amazing book. I'm talking about none other than Stan Phelps. Hello, Stan.
1: Hi. Hi, Elaine.
0: It's great to see you, and Stan's uh, co-author is David Rendell. David, lovely to see you.
2: Nice to be here.
0: Uh, Great to to get to meet you. Now, I'm going to dive right in, folks, and let you know a little bit about Stan, which some people will already know who watch the show, and something about Dave, too, because I think you're going to find these guys incredibly entertaining, exciting all of the above. Stan's the founder of purplegoldfish.com. Purple Goldfish is a think tank of customer experience and employee engagement experts that offer keynotes, workshops that really drive loyalty and sales. And um, his group really helps organizations connect with the hearts and minds of customers and employees. Stan had a 20-year career in marketing that included leadership positions at IMG, Adidas, PGA exhibitions, and Synergy. Now, he has absolutely written a host of books, including the first in the Goldfish series, Purple Goldfish. That included 1,001 examples of signature added value, what Stan likes to call a yap. No doubt you'll hear about that a little later. He's a contributor to Forbes, and his insights have been featured on some leading sites, such as Customer Think, Mang Blend, Switch and Shift, and Business to Community. Now we're going to move on to David Randall. This is incredible. In the last 15 years, he's spoken on every inhabited continent, which when you think, wow, I, I just have so many questions about that. His clients include the U.S. Air Force, Australian government, Fortune 50 companies like Microsoft, AT&T, United Health Group, Fannie Mae and State Farm. Now, prior to becoming a speaker, he was a leadership professor. And this is the one I love, a stand-up comedian. He managed uh, nonprofit enterprises that provided employment for people with disabilities. So that too, definitely touches my heart. We're here today to talk about the latest book that they've written, or I'm hoping it's the latest. Sometimes can't keep up, Stan. Uh, It's called Pink Goldfish. Defy ordinary, exploit imperfection, and captivate your customers. Let's just dive in. And I don't know which one of you wants to take off first, but Let's, uh, let's look at pink goldfish and tell me what started the concept.
2: Why don't you take it, Stan?
1: Sure. So the, the idea of a goldfish is the idea that little things can make a big difference. And uh, Dave and I connected about four or five years ago. And we um, I did a lot of application in... Dave's founding concept called Freak Factor. And Freak Factor is the idea that what, you know, I'll let Dave maybe go into a little more detail, but the idea that what makes you weak is what also makes you strong and that you need to embrace your weirdness. And I just saw, he, he really focused more on personal development and leadership. And I just saw the applications to, to marketing and branding. And uh, so we, a little about a year and a half ago, decided to put our heads together on it and I think it's one of the best ones uh, in the entire series.
0: Well, I, I'm going to have to agree with that. I think it's absolutely flossom, and uh, we all know—we <laughs> all know. Anyone who knows me knows. Okay, I let my freak flag fly because I don't have an option. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, give us give us uh, a little more of how the project came yeah. together, and
2: yeah. So like Stan said, I was uh, my my main talk and book is called The Freak Factor. And it's based on my personal experience that I was always in trouble because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. Now I get paid to stand up and talk and run my own business as a professional speaker. And so what I learned through my personal experience is that my weaknesses were strengths. I started to wonder if other people had weaknesses that were strengths. It turns out that they do. And and I designed an assessment to show people how their weaknesses might also be strengths. A simple example might be... um, someone's persistent, but they're also stubborn, right? So people are criticizing them for being stubborn, uh, but at the same time, they recognize that strength is, is persistence. And so you can't have one without the other. You can't have the strength without the weakness. And so my, my book talked about, you know, kind of the personal um, applications of that, the career applications of that, and then went on to, uh, in a revised version, talk about the marriage applications, parenting applications, sort of uh, managing people Um, getting more engagement. Um, And so we covered kind of all of that. But then we talked a little bit about marketing and strategy um, in that last edition. And then Stan said, why don't we write a marketing and strategy version of the Freak Factor? Why don't we show companies that their weaknesses could also be strengths and that instead of fixing them, they could actually amplify them, they could actually embrace them and increase them in order to be successful. And so We started uh, gathering stories about companies who um, instead of apologizing for weaknesses and trying to fix them, uh, flaunt those weaknesses, are unapologetic and unashamed about those weaknesses. And we came up with some really cool examples. And in fact, now that we've written the book even, uh, we found so many other examples, they just keep pouring in and there's more and more information kind of um, flooding uh, to us from friends and colleagues and things like that, that we're probably gonna do a revised edition fairly quickly.
0: Good. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So did you think, when you started, that you were going to find sort of fewer or more differences and weaknesses that businesses could exploit?
1: That's a good good question. I'm not sure if I was surprised by the amount that we came across. Um, there's certainly, we, we had over 250 examples in the project, and I think we're probably probably hitting about 300 now um, that we've, we've come across. So I, I think, you know, marketing, dip, the idea of differentiation is absolutely key. Um, and, but the hard thing is very few companies are really able to create kind of that competitive separation. So even though that some companies do it, there's so much more opportunity for, for doing it.
0: Absolutely. I have a question about that because I deal with a lot of smaller businesses. And when I look at the examples that you have, where everything from hotel chains and, and Hardee's to you know very, very boutique but very corporate entities. What is it that a small business, a solopreneur, glamopreneur could really do in order to take their own road and not go down that, you know, marketing sameness funnel that everybody, there, there's the word right there, funnel that everybody seems to be handling these days?
2: Well, I think in that case, that's where there's a lot of that crossover between the personal and career development stuff and the business stuff, right? At some point, uh, as a small business owner, as a a owner-operator, you have the opportunity to really flaunt your own weaknesses, right? To say... Um, I'm interested in all these different things, I'm not going to focus, or I'm only interested in this one thing, and I don't want to do anything else. Or um, I don't want to work with these kinds of customers. And so I'm not going to, or I have this unique style, and I'm not going to try to tone it down for the people that that, that makes uncomfortable. Um, and so I really think that it really comes down to sort of asking, what are my strengths and weaknesses? And how do I feel Um, good and and like it's smart, a smart decision to build a business around who I am instead of trying to follow those instructions of how to do it the right way, how to do it the appropriate way, how to do it in a good way. You sort of trust yourself more and you see that no business is perfect. So why not build a business around my unique strengths and weaknesses instead of trying to build something kind of cookie cutter that fits all the other definition of, of what success looks like.
0: Absolutely, that doesn't necessarily mean giving away or or nurturing guppies or <laughs> or giving away cookies. But you know, there are. I firmly believe that solopreneurs uh, need to embrace what you're offering in pink goldfish, because there is so much of the cookie cutter effect. They all kind of blend into, you know, one pastel blends into another, and there is no real differentiation. I think if solopreneurs and small business really take it by the reins and and honestly be who they are, then they're going to be able to really compete in an arena that's chock a block with uh, corporate entities. And
1: D- Elaine, let me let me share where I think I think most companies go wrong is we're so married to this idea of benchmarking, yeah. right? We look at a, we're in a category, we look at whoever the leader is, and we all start to follow down that path of kind of matching what they do. And, and pretty much everyone starts to look the same. And I, what I think is neat about entrepreneurs, they look for the angles, right? They look for the untapped pieces. And to Dave's point, When you're smaller and you're nimble and you're that much closer to the founder, you have the ability to kind of embrace what makes you different um, and go for a part of the market that's separate. You almost need to do that to stand out. And so I think the smaller you are, the easier it's to turn and to embrace these things.
2: Yeah. And I think the other part of that, too, is just like you said, being solopreneurs, Um, Mm -hmm. and fighting against the bigger businesses. I think part of it is just even being willing to stay solo. People are going to tell you that doesn't scale. And, and that's just a lifestyle business. And what you really need to do to grow is this maybe you don't want it to grow. Maybe that's your unique thing. Maybe you want it to be simple. Maybe you want it to be small. Maybe you want it to be manageable. Maybe you want it to be um, uh, relatively, uh, you know, relatively contained. And so I think even being able to have the courage to say, one of the examples we used in the book were some business examples from small giants where companies had a potential, had the potential to blow up huge. Um, They had the money, they had the interest, they had the customers and they said, no, that's not really my style. I don't really want to run a business like that. People tell me that all the time. They're like, oh, Dave, you're a speaker and that's great, but that doesn't scale. I'm like, I'm not trying to scale it, right? I'm not trying to scale it. And Stan and I are a great example of that. Stan's trying to do different things with his business than what i'm trying to do with my business and so not allowing people to tell you that you can't do it alone that you have to make it bigger that here's how you grow if you don't grow you'll die that the big ones win and the small ones lose even just having the courage to stay small keep doing it yourself uh keep doing it the way you're doing it i think even just that is part of the message of pink goldfish that small isn't bad uh, right. there's a weakness in small but there's a strength being agile And big is great, but there's a weakness to big, and that's being slow and and not being able to move as quickly and not being as agile. So you always have an advantage wherever you're at. There's no perfect place to be in business.
1: Right. And I think the worst thing that you can do, and I think so many companies try to portray themselves, right? You have big companies that are trying to portray themselves as small, and you have small companies that you can see right through. They're trying to play much bigger than they are. And that's not being authentic. It's it's not being true to who you are. And so what we're hoping is people (laughs) through the assessments in the book are really trying to understand that everything that we may see as a potential weakness has a corresponding strength. And do you have the courage to even amplify that and, and even even take it to the next level?
0: That's, that's a really good point. And, and to that point, I think it's really interesting that, that Dave, you identify you are a speaker and, and that that is, you know, you're incredibly good at it. Having been uh, in comedy, I think that really gives you a, a unique perspective. And, you know, I, I don't think ah. anything out there that shouldn't have some funny in it including eulogies. There has to be funny <laughs> everywhere. It's just how I roll. But I think that everything we do sort of informs where we end up. And, and I have to ask because although I think Stan and you have a lot of similarities, I think there are some really cool differences. Now, I have a question about ultra marathons. Right. You run ultra marathons.
1: Right. He's an Ironman.
0: And, and, and an Ironman. Can you tell me how that, where does that fit in your overall uh, view of you, the entrepreneur?
2: Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, one of my, I, I took the strengths finder test years ago that Gallup has, you know, to look at your top five strengths. And one of my top five strengths is Achiever. Um, and so I think one of the things I love about ultra marathons and Ironmans is there's a clear finish line, there's a clear start line, there's a clear measurement, there's clear goals, there's clear progress, there's clear times. And so I think I'm always drawn to activities that are clear, simple, straightforward, and allow you to have sort of achievements. Um, I've also, and this goes back to the freak factor, you know, I was always in trouble for being hyperactive. And now people go, wow, you run 50 miles. Wow. You, you know, you do Ironman triathlons. And so that's one of the things I teach people is that I get praised and rewarded now for the things that I used to get criticized and punished for. People used to say, Dave, you need to dial that back. Um, You need to tone, tone down. (laughs) Sorry. That's too much activity. And as Stan and I talk about in the book, instead of toning it down, I actually cranked it up to 11, right? And then once I cranked it up to 11, people started saying, that's fantastic. I wish I could be more like that when those same people used to be saying, you need to tone that down. Um, So I think it's just another one of those examples of me doing the kinds of things that are the right fit for me um, and that match who I am and that give me sort of satisfaction and fulfillment. Um, and that I was also an example of being unashamed and unapologetic, because even still now, there are still some people who say, oh, that's too far and your body can't handle that. And that's not good for you. And you need to dial it back. There's still people who, who, because it's too much for them or because it's not interesting to them, want you to be more normal, want you to be more like them. Um, and so it's a great example of, of, of a weakness also being a strength and, and finding a way to live out who I am in, in my life, even though. It isn't really sort of part of the business, um, but that's the beautiful thing about speaking. You tend to speak for a keynote about an hour at a time. There's plenty of time for running when you're on trips and things like that when you have the kind of lifestyle I have.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and I think it, it, you, you hit the nail on the head there when you were talking about you took the weakness and and you internalized it as a strength. Right. And, and now your entire approach to that quote, unquote, weakness that people called it is as a strength that you count on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, he went pro at it.
2: Right. Oh, wow. Well, that's wow. what we talk about, right? It's going pro in those areas of weakness. So people tell you to dial it back and do less and you actually shouldn't do less. You should go full time, right? You should go pro. I mean, same thing, right? I got in trouble because I wouldn't do what I was told. Well, running your business is going pro at doing your own thing, being your own boss and not letting anybody else guide sort of where you're going, taking charge of your own future. Right. Um, and that's what we're talking about in the book is it, you know, go, on, go back to Stan's thing when he said sometimes small companies try to pretend that they're big. Right. So it might be just you. And then you have somebody answer the phone because that seems more professional and that seems more corporate. Uh, what if what if you answered the phone and what if on your website you're like, it's me answering the phone. It's just me. You'll always get to talk to me. You're never gonna talk to anybody else. This is 100% my business and I'm here to help you with whatever. I'm never gonna hand you off to anybody else. That would be hugely attractive, right? Don't pretend to be something else. Embrace the fact that you're small, it's just you. You're gonna give that personal connection. You're gonna be there to connect with people one-on-one. They're not gonna get surrogates. That's something that's very attractive to people. But too often we're busy trying to, again, going back to Stan's thing about benchmarking, we're trying to copy the way the bigger ones do it the way the better ones do it, we end up missing out on those opportunities. We're just going to do big worse than the big ones can do it instead of doing small better than anyone else can.
1: Right. And I think that's, that's at the core of what the challenge is, right? We, we tend to want to please everyone. Right. And we talk about in the book. If you try to market and be for everyone, you're for no one. And so instead of trying to check all of the boxes, what Dave and I are basically saying is make some of those boxes really big and like don't even don't even worry about some of the boxes. In fact, if you've got the courage, be unapologetically awful at some things and uh, not make excuses for it. That's the way to stand out as opposed to conforming and trying to be for everyone. In fact, we we challenge you to say, look. You should figure out who your anti-target market is <laughs> and start, you know, pointing your finger in their eye.
0: That's a really good point. And I find it sometimes a little sad when you see, you know, small small business or I should say medium business that are are leading small business by the hand, but they're leading them into being little carbon copies. And you just cannot attain the same if you are a cocky of somebody else. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't work.
2: Well, and even if it did work, then part of the question, especially for people running their own businesses, is, is even if it worked, even if it was successful, would you enjoy doing that? Right? Yeah. I, read, I read The E-Myth uh, by Michael Gerber. And it was all about systemization and standardization and all those kinds of things. And I listened to it, I finished and I said, that's fantastic. And I would never do that. Right. <laughs> I, even if it works and it probably does, I don't want to run a business that way. And I don't have the goal of replacing myself and, and I don't have the goal. I, I don't have those goals that doesn't wouldn't work for me. It might be successful, but now I've created a business. Um, and then f- they created a job that I don't want. Right. Why would why yeah. would your business, why would you create a job that you don't want? So part of the benefit we have of running our own businesses is to be able to create the kind of company that you want to work in. So even if it is good advice, even if it will make you more successful, whatever that means, you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, is that the job you want to have? And if it's not, why would you build a business? there?
0: Uh, absolutely. And, and you know, further to that, on the really small scale, I, I always say, "Do I want to be able to get up in the morning and be joyful that I get to do whatever the hell I'm doing that day?" Yeah, I, yeah. I don't want to feel that you know I I'm slogging twenty feet to my office and yeah. it's it's just like I had a job. So I, I totally I totally get that, and Stan from your early early experiences from doing you know huge (laughs) advertising campaigns and 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 working in in those uh areas what do you see as the possibilities going forward for business in general if they maintain the status quo
1: well here's the deal i think i think you the, the quickest road to extinction is to try to maintain what you've done. You know, the, the theory in my books I write about is this idea that you never just meet expectation and that every year the expectations of your customers rise. And so if you're continuing, continuously doing what you've always done in the past, you're not going to be able to take it, take it up a notch and stay above where expectation is And so through the core of my writing, through the entire Goldfish series, it's all about how do you differentiate? And what I love about pink is it's really going back to the roots of purple. And that was about differentiation by added value. What I like about pink is you can take it all the way from branding all the way down to what we call micro weirding. Yes. Which is the experience that you provide in doing little things. Um, so I think it's a playbook for for anyone who wants to to you know stand out and be a category of one.
0: Well, in all honesty, uh, after going through and over and over again, I have to say I think it's a playbook for all business. Even if you don't want to be smart enough to differentiate, if you want to follow the norm and do whatever. This will give you all the things you don't want to do to stand out.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we, we don't want those people reading this book. <laughs>
0: okay. Don't okay. read the book. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Okay. So you people don't bother reading the book. No but... zebras
2: and no cows. Right, Dave? Hey, I don't care. <clears throat> if they want to buy the book, that's fine. No. Don't, <laughs> buy uh, don't, don't buy the book. Don't buy the book.
0: Zebras eat goldfish? Hmm
2: i don't think they uh, end up in the same sorry, situation
0: yeah yeah um and and stan in in my research over and over again i've never ever said it before but tell us about oscar
1: oscar oh my uh my very first my very first pet yeah so when i was when i was six my very first pet was a, a goldfish and um You know, he was, I won him at a fair. He was about this big, but what's really interesting. I come to find that the world's largest goldfish, which Dave just spoke to a bunch of the folks from Holland, um, hails from the Netherlands. It's nearly 19 inches long. So average is three, six times the size, about the size of an average domesticated house cat. And so the reasons why a goldfish grows there's five basic reasons. But the, the biggest one, the one that you have control over um, is this idea of genetic makeup. So what do you do that makes you stand out in this kind of crowded sea of sameness? Um, and really that's where I think businesses need to go. It's, it's not only what you say, but it's how you do what you do and why you do it. And our hope with pink is it's going to get people a little more in touch with um, those things that make them unique.
0: Absolutely, and and the one thing that I saw through a lot of the examples is there's an awful lot of lanyap here. Lanyap has sort of gone through the entire series. Um, for people who don't know, Stan, I'll let you. Define it because you'll define it better than I do, but it it has gone through the series and I was really excited to see when I got into pink goldfish that it was oh wow okay it's it's still lanyap there's other other things that play here, but that above and beyond, I believe is critical.
1: Yeah so lanyap real quick if you're not aware of it it's a concept that comes from uh, Louisiana from the southeastern part. Uh, dates back to the 1800s. In fact, Mark Twain said that Lanyap was a word worth traveling all the way to New Orleans to get. Yeah. And it's this idea of doing a little something extra, something that gets kind of thrown in for good measure, um, something to kind of honor the relationship and go above and beyond the transaction. And so, yeah, it's it definitely... Is, is a main concept. What I like is, as much as I like lanyap, this idea of kintsugi, this Japanese term, is really kind of the, the founding principle that we really latched onto for the book.
0: Wow, wow. Um, kintsugi is, um, if I remember correctly, the Japanese emperor um, broke his favorite tea bowl And when he sent it to be repaired, it came back and it was ugly as sin. They'd used, you know, crack metal and what have you. And he he said, no, no, no. And he sent it back to his craftsman and said, no, no, I want to do it well. And it came back with gold on the cracks and, and he, they lacquered it and made it something of beauty. And, um, to me, it's it spoke to me a lot um, because when when you have a lot of scars, this is not something that normally people do. But having having the consideration for something and not just chucking it out, uh, considering something that's that was in some people's eyes less than, and making it more than, I think that's fabulous.
1: dave Dave, go into go into how that became a thing in japan as well as why i think those objects were more of value
2: yeah so what's fun about that story is people actually started breaking their bowls on purpose right that started you know oops um and so that shows the power right we illuminated imperfection and instead of that being a negative it was actually a positive so i think a lot of And this is why this is the founding idea of pink goldfish. What a lot of businesses are trying to do is hide imperfection, fix imperfection, avoid imperfection. And what Kintsugi shows is is you can illuminate it and not just be okay. You can actually make what you're doing even more valuable than things that aren't broken, that are perfect, uh, that are flawless. Um, And so I think that's one of the key ideas is that we can highlight, we can put um, the the spotlight on those weaknesses, and that will actually draw people towards us um, instead of pushing them away. And I think that's a powerful idea that again, doesn't really, um, you know, isn't the first thing that people are taught when it comes to business, You're taught the exact opposite. Find those gaps, find what's wrong, fix it, do a SWOT analysis, find what's wrong, fix it, find those gaps, fill in those gaps, benchmark, find what the good ones are doing um, and copy them and do it better kintsugi says wait a second you're broken in unique and interesting ways what if you highlighted that instead of trying to hide it what if you illuminated it um, instead of trying to sweep it under the rug and i think it's a great concept um, that's really uh it has profound implications for our personal lives and our relationships as well like you said Absolutely. we all have scars either visible or invisible um emotional or physical um and i think highlighting them Um, and being proud of them, unashamed of them again, that flaunting comes back, being unashamed of them and unapologetic, um, is oftentimes what draws people to us, that vulnerability, um, that humanity is what, what connects us as, as human beings.
0: And, and there you struck on flaunting, which is number one. And I believe you have seven, um, ways to differentiate, to, to stand out and, um, I let I'd love you to go through them, you know, give people an idea of, of kind of what it is, but what I'd like both of you to answer of the seven which do you think is where you'll find the most people gravitating if they are in fact already doing that differentiation. And did one did one particularly stand out?
1: Well, I'll, I'll start off. So, really quickly, the, the framework of seven things is this idea of being flossom. And flossom is two words put together. It's the idea that your flaws make you awesome, they hold the key to what makes you awesome. So, it's flaunting, lopsiding, uh, antagonizing, withholding, swerving, opposing, and micro weirding. And I'll just share the one I think that most people gravitate towards is, is this idea of micro-weirding. Like, you don't have to start with something big. These are little things that you can add to the, the experience. Um, but I'll throw it to Dave. I mean, what, what's maybe you can give a little more color
2: on the other six um, Well, I think the one, and we we emphasize this in the book, without flaunting, none of the other ones work, right? If you're lopsiding, but you're ashamed of it and you wish you weren't. If you're opposing, but you're kind of ashamed of it and you wish you weren't. I think flaunting really covers the rest of them. If you can't get unapologetic, if you can't be unashamed, if you can't parade it, um, if you're not proud of who you are and what you're doing, then none of the rest of it works, right? Uh, If you sort of got your head down and you're apologizing for the way your business is run and the way it works and, and the things you haven't been able to fix yet, Um, Then then none of the other things work. So I think that's sort of the big one. Um, I I think the one I I mean, there's they're they're also they're also interesting, I think, um, you know, the one that I think is probably my favorite is is antagonizing, right? It's the opposite of everything we've ever been taught about how to Customer satisfaction, and you don't just want that; you want loyalty, and you just don't want loyalty. You want evangelists who are out there, sort of preaching for you, and so to tell people and to give examples of companies who deliberately antagonize their customers. I mean, one of my favorite examples—it's brand new from a from a big, big company—is um, Bud Light. Bud Light has a new commercial where. A uh, guy, you know, says everybody wants some Bud Light. And one guy goes, uh, do you have an autumnal mead? Uh, and does it have notes of honey and, and pumpkin? And, and they kick the guy out, right? And they say, we're for the many, not the few, right? Uh, if you want your IPA, if you want your craft brew, um, and they've been, they've been getting killed with that for years. And instead of pretending now that they have some kind of craft brew, instead of trying to be small uh, when they're big, they just said, you know what? We're for most people. And if you're not that, we don't care. Uh, and that's that's that antagonizing. They're making fun of people who like the other product. They're saying, we don't do that, we won't do that, that's flaunting, and you're ridiculous if you do, and we're gonna make fun of you.
0: Uh, right. And
2: I think that takes some courage, whereas most of the time it's like, yeah, but that person might also occasionally wanna have a Bud Light. Uh, and now you're turning them off of the Bud Light. And it's like, no, someone who's committed to that is never going to drink Bud Light. And so just go with it and make the people who do, do drink Bud Light feel like there is sort of like it's okay for them to also be bothered by those people and to think those people are ridiculous, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's an example of one that's come out since the book that's not in the book that's just come out recently. And I think it, it again it's so unusual you asked earlier about were we surprised by how many examples we found or didn't find i think part of the point is you can't find that many examples because everything that we're taught says don't do this and there's very few companies that have the courage to to do it and and when they do it we oftentimes either miss it or misunderstand it um, and don't latch on to those lessons because it's so unusual that even though it works, we're sort of afraid to try it because it seems like, and we just go, that's the exception. Yeah, they're or, an outlier. That. We won't yeah. right. do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and we missed the lesson, right? We missed the lesson.
0: Oh, that, that's a really, really good point. And um, I guess, like, early on, one of the first antagonistic was Apple. When they did the Apple and the, the PC commercials with the. Uh, yeah what was just Justin? somebody rather um with the actor that that was absolutely antagonistic and it was good it worked
2: yeah yep that's a good one in fact stan we need to add that one i well, totally forgot go. about that right that's a whole mac story. versus P- i'm a mac yeah. yeah and that's and that's a great that's a great point elaine we had i think we had a harder time gathering examples than we would have with other ones because what we're talking about isn't isn't as, as, as simple and it isn't as common. So, even sometimes the examples people would give us weren't actually what we were looking for. They weren't relevant to what we were talking about because it is somewhat rare to find this. And even trying to explain, you know, we need companies who are unapologetic about their weaknesses um, and actually see them as strengths. That's not, we didn't have, you know, thousands and thousands of responses from people no. all over the world. And a bunch of the ones we did get just weren't right. Um, because right. it is relatively uncommon and yet, as you say, and that's a great one, um, you know, Apple versus PC, Mac versus PC, I mean, they just, not only were they antagonizing customers of, the other, of their competition, they were antagonizing the company itself, right? And it just well, making you, fun
1: of them. We did talk about, remember Dave, we talked about, uh, I love this about Steve Jobs. There was a lot of pressure when the iPad first came out for them to make it more business friendly. Yeah. And Steve Jobs said, "Screw that! We're not going to cater to business. We're going to make it so, irri- you know, so so amazing for the end consumer that businesses are just going to have to come along." And what has happened since? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He, he was definitely a trailblazer. Um, <laughs> what, what I what I think is neat, and Dave said Dave was just in Barcelona like ten days ago, and we're getting these examples from all around the world, which is great. Um, we even think, as we update the book, that there's even uh, a cousin to Kintsugi, this idea of wabi-sabi that we're even in- in explore further. And that's the idea that instead of illuminating the flaws that you already have, this is about intentional imperfection.
0: <laughs>
1: and how do you actually design imperfection? And sometimes that's, I think if I, I look at it, Ways that you can consciously do less of what others consider as normal.
2: Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I did this talk and then my friend who uh, is very tied into Japanese culture and does a lot of um, business in Japan, he said, have you heard about Wabi Sabi? And I was like, no, what is that? And, and he said, this is the idea that nature is imperfect, but nature is beautiful. So what if when we made things, we made them intentionally imperfect, right? We don't, it's not accidental. It's not like, well, I guess this is the way it is. So we'll highlight it. It's no, I'm gonna, so they make a bowl and they put a nick in it right at the beginning. They, they make a table and instead of sanding that knot out and making it smooth, they leave it rough and they leave it raw and they leave it ragged. Um, And you can do this with anything, you can do this with a garden, you can do this uh, with a home, you can do this with furniture, and it's a whole school of sort of thought that says, the goal isn't perfection, the goal is deliberate imperfection, and imperfection can be beautiful and can be valuable as well. Um, And so that's something uh, that again, we discovered afterwards um as we um sort of uh have shared this with the world and that's something that's going to be a huge part of the next book as well that that it's it's a good idea to uh sit down and as part of your strategy for improving your company as part of your strategy for building your company you look for ways to deliberately uh do things imperfectly and again that 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 flies in the face of everything that anyone's really taught about how to run their business
0: Well, it's funny because for almost a year now, I'm forever saying to people, okay, stop trying to be perfect. Mm -hmm. If perfection existed, there'd be two humans, period, end Mm -hmm. of sentence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it just, nowhere, nowhere. People are forever searching for it. How much simpler, how much more comfort to be able to acknowledge imperfections and to build on them to really make yourself and your business stand out in in a good way. And I think part of it comes from small business now having to really understand that the more you can laser focus on, on a true niche, the better off you're going to do because it's not just you you can't be all things to all people. You know, one person, as you say, there's so many people who don't want to scale. Well then scale the people you serve and make that your goal.
1: Right. Yeah. That's, that's a tenant throughout all of my books. This idea of take care of the customers that you have, and they will bring you the customers that you want. And Dave does a really good job with one of our examples, which is the Alamo Drafthouse, is by actually antagonizing the ones that you don't want, it's like creating a magnet for the ones that you do.
0: Well, I wish I lived there because there I'd go to movies. (laughs) <laughs> i hate people who turn on their phones and are, are yacking or you know uh, rappers and the whole nine yards drives me nuts
2: well they are uh, they are moving across the country stan and i we just got one in raleigh um so they are spreading because people want that i mean the regular movies tell you don't talk or text and then yes. they don't do anything when you do alamo draft house actually follows up and that's, that's very attractive to some people, very unattractive to other people, right? And so uh, you're proving the point, right? I, you hear that story, and instead of thinking, I would never go there, you think that's exactly where I would go. Oh, yeah. But the beauty of it is, yeah. as when yeah. other people hear that story about someone being kicked out for talking and texting, they think, I would never go there. And that's perfect. That's exactly what you want, is for for one action to clearly push some people away and draw other people in at the same time.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh wow! This this well, I, I've I've taken you guys longer than I was supposed to. There's uh, two of us, so that's okay. Well, look, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's yeah,
1: right. It's just more flossom.
0: It's more flossom, absolutely. And yeah, and I'm definitely all about the flossom, with or without the e. Uh, I I just would love to have you both leave our audience with. One little nugget that they can implement in their lives, either personal or business, that they can do immediately. Something that you find useful for you, something that, you know, just makes sense to you. Hmm. And it doesn't matter which one starts, but if you would both leave us with a nugget, it would be great. I'll
2: start. I mean, I think, um, you know, One thing to do would be just for the next week, just listen for those criticisms, right? Listen for those things that that, uh, your kids, that your spouse, that your coworkers, that your customers, uh, you know, know, I like it that you're so organized, but maybe you could just dial it back a little bit, right? I like it that you're so intense, but if you could just dial it back a little bit, listen for the themes, listen for that thing that you're hearing over and over again. And then instead of trying to fix it, actually ask yourself two questions what's the upside of that weakness right what's the upside of that weakness um and then second of all what would it look like if i did more instead of less what would it look like if i turned up the volume uh like stan says in the book crank it to 11 um, instead of dialing it back how could i be more of who i am instead of less how could i make those people even more unhappy than they already are Um, and even just at the beginning as a thought experiment without having to jump in and try it. Just start asking some of those questions because most of the time when you ask people, what's the strength that goes with the weakness, they can find it almost immediately, but they never would have thought previously that yeah. that's the way it works. So listen for those complaints, listen for those criticisms, listen for those themes. And then instead of rea- reacting the way we normally do, which is trying to adapt and adjust. It's almost January. So it's almost new year's resolutions. So we go, okay, next year I'm going to try to be less stubborn next year. I'm going to try to be more organized. You ask yourself, what would happen next year if I got even less organized, if I got even more messy? And the upside of that, for example, is creative. What if I focus so much on creativity and I just let go of doing any kind of organizing activities next year? People would be even more upset with me. But what would happen if I turned up my creativity to 11 and got even messier? Um, If you're too organized and you're a clean freak and you're a neat freak, join the National Association of Professional Organizers. Take it to 11. Um, Do even more. Um, the people around you might get even more frustrated, um, but they'll also see that upside that they haven't seen before. So I think that would be my advice is listen for the criticism, ask yourself what the corresponding strength is and then dial it up, turn up the volume, amplify.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. I think many times that when we try to um, look in the mirror and do that assessment of what makes us unique and different, We have all of these kind of blind spots. Right. And so I love Dave's um, Dave's idea of just kind of listening for feedback. But I would also my recommendation would be proactive. You know, talk to your employees who have worked in other places. Talk to your suppliers and vendors. Talk to your customers and ask them, you know, you have a choice. Why do you do business with us? What makes us different and look for those cues Um, and start to appreciate them.
0: Oh, that's very good. Appreciate your flaws.
2: Well, yeah, if you don't appreciate it, then you can't be unapologetic about it, right? If you're sad that it's that way, if you wish that it wasn't that way, if you're not proud of it, um, you certainly can't communicate that to other people. So at some point you have to see that you have to appreciate it first. Um, and that's part of the framework for sort of implementing this, right? Is to appreciate, um, and accept, uh, your unique strengths and weaknesses, and then amplify um, and find alignment.
1: Because here, here's the deal: how-to books will never ever go out of style no. because people are obsessed with trying to improve what they think are personal weaknesses, all right? And it and it's you almost can never change who you are. And what Dave and I are saying with you personally or even with your brand be a better version of yourself, right? Don't try to change, wrap your arms around it and try to do more or purposely do less, you know, instead of, instead of getting caught in the, the comparison race.
0: Absolutely, those, those are really great nuggets for us to uh, leave the audience with and I wanna be sure that you know that on the page you'll be able to have a link to go buy pink goldfish, and uh, links to give you more information about both Dave and Stan. And it has been absolutely amazing. Thank you both for a very lively, very uh, enjoyable time on the show. Uh, this has been name Lindsay, the Glampreneur of True Social Media. Hosts of bbp tv god that's a mouthful and i'm here with my guests stan phelps and dave Rendell. it has been fabulous be a pink goldfish and be (laughs) awesome right guys
2: thanks lane thank you Mm